This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. As folks on Washington State's San Juan Islands worried, the burglar known as the Barefoot Bandit. The Barefoot Bandit. The so-called Barefoot Bandit. The Barefoot Bandit. The Barefoot Bandit. Barefoot Bandit. The Barefoot Bandit. The Barefoot Bandit. The infamous Barefoot Bandit. The legend of the Barefoot Bandit is the story of an epic crime spree involving hundreds of burglaries and millions of dollars of stolen luxury cars, planes, and boats. The crime spree went on for years, crossing state and international borders. The crimes earned the Barefoot Bandit the unenviable title of FBI's Most Wanted. But what makes the story legendary is that the Barefoot Bandit was a teenager. In the simplest terms, the Barefoot Bandit can be described as a serial burglar, earning the nickname because of his bare feet clearly visible in many surveillance videos. However, within the big world of major crime, initially his break-ins would be considered small-time, with often just food and insignificant household items taken. Even as the frequency, value, and audaciousness of his thefts increased to what eventually would make international news, few saw him as dangerous. Many regarded him as a kind of folk hero, some even writing songs about his misadventures and selling merchandise with his face and name emblazoned across the front. To many, the Barefoot Bandit represented the spirit of the James Dean-style rebel. His uncanny ability to outmaneuver law enforcement and survive the incredible stunts he pulled while on the run earned him a global following. My name is Eric Crosby. Welcome to this episode of True. Colton Harris Moore. 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 Colton Harris Moore was born in 1991 and grew up on Camano Island in Northwest Washington State. He lived in a difficult household and spent a great deal of time in the woods around his house. Some reports claim that at just age seven, he was living in the forest for days at a time. By the first grade, Colton's behavior would find him starting fights, disregarding teachers, and intentionally breaking things. His mother described him as disconnected. He would often miss days and sometimes weeks of school. Psychiatric evaluations originally diagnosed him with depression, attention deficit disorder, and intermittent explosive disorder. He was given medication to treat the conditions, but by the end of the ninth grade, he had dropped out of school altogether. In 2003, at the age of 12, authorities found a stolen video camera in his possession, and he was convicted of his first offense. Within the next 12 months, he would collect three more burglary and theft-related convictions. His sentences were usually light, a couple of weeks in juvenile detention or community service. Over the next few years, Colton continued to rob upscale vacation homes and while he almost always left the houses clean and orderly, his tastes graduated from simple household items to more in line with the teenager. 
He was now stealing cell phones, laptops, and credit cards, most of which he kept stashed away on his property. He took an almost academic approach to teaching himself the skills of the criminal trade. Using stolen computers, he would research how to pick locks, how to hotwire cars, and how to access a credit card's PIN number using a homemade card reader. At 15, he was handed a one-month stint in a juvenile detention center, his fourth and so far longest sentence. Later that year, in September 2006, authorities discovered his stash of stolen goods when they searched his mother's house after he failed to appear in court for an earlier offense. From the incredible number of stolen items found, police were able to connect him to a string of burglaries over the years. Fearing a harsh punishment, it's at this moment that Colton Harris Moore makes the decision to run from the law. Now a fugitive on the lam, the 15-year-old remained a step or two ahead of the authorities, month after month. Police suspected that he was living somewhere in the woods, while others insisted that he was hiding out in more comfortable surroundings. Either way, everyone agreed that he was supporting his fugitive lifestyle by robbing houses and stealing from local stores. While he was on the run, officials estimated that Colton was responsible for over a million dollars in stolen property, including cars and boats. As the months went by, local police started hanging wanted posters all over the neighboring islands, vowing to capture the serial burglar. With an attitude of total defiance, Colton left a note for his mother that read, Cops want to play, huh? Well, it's no little game. It's war. And tell them that. Two thousand six turned into two thousand seven, and the police still had not made an arrest. For being almost six and a half feet tall, Colton had managed to remain remarkably invisible. There had been a couple close calls, but Colton was always able to outrun the pursuing officers and hide in the forest. It wasn't until February of that year that authorities received a tip they had been waiting for. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. An unoccupied vacation house, curiously, had some lights on, which caught a neighbor's eye. 
Knowing that the house was vacant for the season, and fully aware of the constant burglaries, they called police, who quickly had the place surrounded. After a short standoff, his mother was able to talk him out of the house, and he surrendered to officers without incident. He had stayed one step ahead of local police for six months. Charged with three counts of burglary, Colton entered a guilty plea and was sentenced to three years in a maximum security juvenile detention center. Not long after arriving at the Green Hill School, he was evaluated by a psychologist who decided that he clearly wasn't a hardened juvenile offender like most of the kids housed at that facility. Because Colton had never committed a violent crime, didn't do drugs, and came across as genuinely good-natured, it was recommended that he be transferred out of the maximum security institution. The now 16-year-old was moved to a low-security residence called Griffin Home, located in the Seattle suburb of Renton. It was described by many as having a summer camp feel, with its mere 30 residents and overall relaxed environment. The length of Colton's sentence would depend greatly on his behavior while being confined to Griffin Home. But compared to the prison-style Green Hill School, this place should have been a vacation. But on April 29, 2008, not long into his second year of his sentence, Colton Harris Moore again made up his mind to run, and at just before 9pm, he got up and climbed out of the window of the unlocked facility. A fugitive from the law once again, this time he was going to make a count. Colton made his way back to Camano Island and immediately began breaking into vacation homes. Cops and residents think a teenage crook is at it again. This teen Houdini, Colton Moore, has been on the run since he escaped. He used stolen credit cards to shop online and to withdraw cash from ATMs. Authorities suspected him in a string of speedboat thefts, using them to reach homes on nearby islands. Police have been trying to nab Colton Harris Moore since he escaped from a minimum security facility in April 2008. Now authorities are investigating the teen in connection with dozens of break-ins on the island north of Seattle. Despite the rash of crimes, he managed to keep a low profile and for a while escaped the attention of law enforcement. That ended July 18, 2008, three months into his escape when he was spotted by an officer while driving a stolen Mercedes. The deputy started the pursuit, but as the car was still rolling, Colton jumped out, ran into the nearby woods, and disappeared. Last night, deputies spotted him in this parking lot as he jumped out of a moving car that crashed into this town. A search of the car, which had come to a stop on the wall of a local business, provided authorities with absolute proof the serial burglar was back on the island. In a backpack recovered from the car, they found, among other stolen items, a camera, which contained the now-famous Barefoot Bandit selfie. In the picture, Colton is in the woods looking directly at the camera. He's wearing a Mercedes jacket and sporting an almost imperceptible grin. What's striking about the picture is that he looks perfectly comfortable in the woods as he lies on his back and takes the shot looking up at the camera, green foliage in the background. This iconic picture is the closest police would get to their fugitive for a long time.
Colton Harris Moore remained under the police radar for the rest of the summer and throughout the fall. He was still hiding on the island somewhere, but police were no closer to capturing him. Search teams were repeatedly sent into the woods, at times using highly trained dogs, but he was nowhere to be found. Tactical teams from Marysville expanded that search today with help from canine units. They combed through wooded areas down teenage road. burglar who has given authorities fits in the Pacific Northwest remains at large. The hiding spot. Authorities think he's living in the woods and in vacant homes and vacation cabins. Nearly three dozen heavily armed law enforcement officers spent a day on Orcas Island looking for Colton Harris Moore. Looked like the team was not even search helicopters using sensitive infrared technology could find any sign of him. Authorities suspected he was most likely hanging out at friends or in unoccupied vacation homes on any one of the surrounding islands. During this time, Colton spent countless hours playing games on whatever computer or laptop he could find. But he wasn't just playing any old thing. He was focused entirely on a very specific type, flight simulators. From an early age, Colton had been interested in flying, and it was a constant theme in his school art projects and creative writing papers. Over the years, his interest evolved into an outright obsession, and he became determined to one day pilot a plane. Of course, with no formal flight training, no pilot's license, and with no airplane, the reality was Colton's dream of flying would likely remain limited to computer screens. Or not. On November 11, 2008, seven months after he ran from Griffin home, and now a seasoned virtual pilot on Microsoft Flight Simulator, Colton arrived at the Orcas Island Airport for his first flight. But he wasn't there to join other travelers. Under the cover of night, he broke into one of the hangars and right away saw what he was looking for. The Cessna 182 looked just like the ones in the flight simulator he had spent so much time playing. This particular plane happened to be owned by Bob Rivers, a popular radio host based in Seattle. It's a sad situation. I hope the kid um, gets in, I hope he does his time, and uh, I hope he has a, a good life after that. But Colton wasn't there to admire the plane from a distance. He searched the immediate area and quickly found the keys. He climbed into the cockpit and waited until first light. As the sun started to come up, Colton started the engine and pushed the throttle forward. The Cessna gained speed as it headed down the runway, and when it hit 80 miles per hour, he pulled the stick back. The plane began lifting off the asphalt. The nose pointed toward the horizon. Climbing to about 10,000 feet, he headed southeast, with no particular destination in mind. This flight wasn't about the destination. Still, he had limited options. Not far north from the airport he had just taken off from was the international border to Canada. To the west was the cold and vast Pacific Ocean. Heading southeast made the most sense if he wanted to avoid drawing the attention of the Royal Canadian Air Force, or risk getting lost over the water. For three and a half hours, Colton flew the stolen plane through blue skies and white clouds. He was finally living his dream, but the reality of the situation was looking grave.
Taking off, pilots will tell you, is the easy part. Landing, on the other hand, is another story. Deciding that landing the stolen plane at an airport wasn't worth the likelihood of getting apprehended by authorities, he decided instead to crash land in as flat and open a field as he could find. Almost 300 miles from where he took off, he saw the ideal landing area and started his approach. He was flying over the 1.2 million acre Yakama Indian Reservation located in southern Washington state. Flying in at a reduced speed of around 80 miles an hour, the plane struck the ground hard, destroying the landing gear, propeller, and undercarriage. When police arrived at the crash site, they found the badly damaged Cessna, but there was no sign of Colton. Amazingly, he had simply walked away from the type of crash that can kill the most experienced pilots. The barefoot bandit was hooked. But how long could his luck continue? Find out in part two. True is a production of Imperative Entertainment. This episode of True was researched and written by me. The executive producer is Jason Hoke of Imperative Entertainment. Cover art and design was created by Jenna Sullivan. True was created and is produced by me. Comments? Questions? Get a hold of us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.